episode, he is redefining what it means to be blessed to these people. He's, he's defining blessing as being one with or inviting them into unity with God and essentially saying uh, there's, there's so many gifts on earth, there's so many gifts even from God, but the greatest gift is God himself. And so he's saying the, the truly satisfied are those who find their satisfaction in God. And at the same time, he's beginning to, to revamp their value system, saying man holds this up, but yet God holds this up. And sometimes there's crossover there, but he's saying what God says is good and right and true, uh, that is what brings satisfaction, and that is what we ought to be about. And so, as we've kind of walked through um, some of these statements that Jesus, some of these proclamations that he's, he's made, we come to Matthew 5, 9 today, that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So I think there's a, there's a, Probably an appropriate way to say this as well is by, by switching that to say the sons of God, the children of God, will be peacemakers. And so you think about what, what it means to be a, a child of the living God, where God says that all, of, all, all men and women are created in his image. And so we're, we're originally designed to be image bearers of God. And then obviously that much of that image was distorted and lost by sin and by us choosing not to accept, step into that role, but, but in some ways trying to bear our own image and be our own lords. And so usher in the need for a savior and the need for reconciling and the need, as we'll talk later, about peace between God and man. But I think if we are to be reflectors of, if we are to look like our father, if we are to resemble our creator, it says, then we too will be peacemakers. And so this word uh, son in the Greek means a, a lot of different things uh, throughout the, the New Testament. It says, of those whom God esteems as his children, those whom God loves, those who God protects. It's used to describe, similar to, to a parent-child relationship on earth, it's used, used to describe an individual who is dependent upon another person. It's used to describe an individual who follows another person. This is what it means to be a child of God, a worshiper of God, one who reveres God as their father. And if you'll remember, Jesus used the term when he described himself most often uh, as he was on earth. He says, the son of man. And so this is the same word that he used when he describes himself. And essentially what I think he's trying to um, focus through there and focus on there. Uh, is this idea of, of enjoying supreme love and unity with God, united to him in affectionate intimacy, privy to his saving counsel, counsel and obedient to the Father's will and acts. So it's this, this idea, once again, where Jesus is kind of defining blessed in the context of this deep, affectionate, intimate relationship with God himself. In a way, saying, this is what I've always had with my father, and now I want to invite you into sharing what we have. And then one that I really enjoyed, uh, the definition was this. Those who in character and life resemble God. Those who are governed by his spirit 
and therefore express him in a visible way by their life. So in a lot of ways, this is as Jesus was the full and perfect embodiment of God the Father. He says now, and, and remember in scripture when he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, where we are now to be the visible image of an invisible God. How staggering is that? That that is possible because of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So if we fall into that category of acknowledging and recognizing our need for a savior, if we come to the point of repentance and say yes to his invitation of our cleansing and our indwelling and being unified with him and being adopted as his sons and daughters, this in a lot of ways is, is, is he says this is what ought to be natural now. Because if you're to be my image bearer, God is one who brings about peace. And so now you, as my children, are to be about the same thing. That word peacemaker, um, in, in the compound word, this is the only time in the Greek that it, it is stated in the New Testament. But obviously it's made of two different words, peace and maker. And so the word peace basically is uh, peace between two individuals. So that's that idea of harmony or concord or, or unity. But it can also mean security and safety, whether this between two individuals or two parties or just one. Uh, prosperity, the tranquil state of the soul, a soul that is at rest, a soul that is one, a soul that it is quiet, or the absence of war. So this idea of peace has some different varieties of saying a, a real similar thing. And then maker is, is one that produces something, right? It's one that brings forth something so it's an action it's one that causes something to be so if we break those words down a little bit a peacemaker is one who brings forth unity is one who creates oneness a person that uh, creates the atmosphere for the absence of war whether that be within our own souls or, or amongst two parties or one that produces quietness and stillness and as we know just a person that produces peace and so we're going to talk through what it looks like to become step into our our, our design of being peacemakers and I think that it's important to differentiate between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper so a peacemaker is one who brings forth these things that we just stated a peacekeeper is one who avoids conflict a peacekeeper may be one who, who is a, a conflict dodger, where you've heard the idea of uh, peace at all costs, where many times in order to keep the peace, you compromise truth, you compromise true love, you compromise honesty, and therefore we're no longer, we've kind of stepped out from underneath the authority of God uh, because we're, we're willing to, to bend on what we see as truly good and right, uh, just in, in a lot of ways for the sake of staying comfortable, right? And so we're going to see how Jesus, being the representative of God that we, got to, we get to look at and that we're one with, how did he do this as he was on earth? And I'm sure you have multiple stories even popping into your head right now where he, he came to establish peace in a lot of ways, but he was not a peacekeeper, Right? He, he stepped into conflict often. But when he stepped into conflict, 
Why did he do it? It was for the purpose of finding that peace on the other side of war, of finding that peace on the other side of conflict. So I think for us, uh, Hebrews 12, 14 helped me kind of uh, shape uh, this conversation. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So you get this idea of striving for peace, for unity, and for holiness. And many times those two don't necessarily go together hand in hand in our experience with people, right? Where God never, Jesus never compromised the holiness of God who alone is holy and pure and good and perfect and righteous for the sake of just not ruffling feathers. And so if we're to represent him and to express him, then one, we need to come underneath that standard of holiness, of what is right and pure and good, and usher that in as we seek to be about peace with each other. Uh, Matthew 10, 36 through 34 gives us a, a picture. There's a statement that Jesus makes that on the surface can be confusing because we know he's the prince of peace. And then he says this, Do not think I came to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace but the sword. I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother uh, and so on. And so that can be confusing. Wait a minute. Why does Jesus say he came to bring the sword? Well, oftentimes in scripture, sword is used to uh, represent a dividing line. Uh, it's used to represent division or severing of two things. And it makes sense that if, if Jesus comes and offers us goodness, in order to partake in that holiness and that goodness, we have to come underneath his lordship. Well, there's going to be some that choose not to step into that. There's going to be some that choose to reject that, or either they see themselves as good and so they don't need God, and therefore, those individuals who reject that invitation to come and be united to pure holiness, they will perpetually be at war with God. And so, there's a, there's a division that takes place between light and darkness of good and evil, and we know that, and we see that all throughout our experience of life. So Jesus didn't necessarily first come to just bring peace between man, even though that's a byproduct, but he first came to bring peace between God and man. And so that's the first place that we're going to start is thinking through our definition here. One of the aspects of peace is harmony and security or to be at one with. And you think this is, this is exactly why Jesus came, right? Where when we had that relationship between our creator severed because of our sin, Jesus steps in and says, now let me provide opportunity to be reconciled to God through my death and my resurrection, where you have placed your faith in me, where you can truly be in harmony with your creator once again. So this is Philippians 4, 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How does this peace come? In Christ Jesus. John 16, Jesus is speaking and he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you ha will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So he's saying first to be at peace with God, there is one way. Well, maybe there's two, to be perfect or through me. And I think we all recognize we've all been disqualified of the first one. 
So he gives us one option, but he delights in us taking that option. And he says, then you may have peace with God. And as a result of that, there is nothing the world can throw at you, nothing that the world can, can place upon you or that you can place upon yourself that God can't speak into. I love that he's standing in the waters holding back the sea, right? That God has an answer, that Christianity has an answer for every pain and hurt and trial and it's it's in the promises and the person of Jesus Christ where there all of a sudden I can have peace within my mind and peace within my heart anchored because of who he is and what he has done for me in that place of sonship underneath him the second thing that that has much carryover is now I can have peace within myself the rest and tranquility of soul part of our definition. The absence of war part of our definition of peace. The quietness part of peace. Isaiah 26.3 shows us how this comes about. It says you, referring to God, it says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So I believe that the amount of peace I experience is directly related to the trust in God that I'm executing. That if my mind is stayed on who God is and the promises of God and the ways of God, it says a byproduct of that is I will be kept in perfect peace. Because if I keep my eyes looking at Jesus, it says I will trust in him because he's trustworthy. And so we beg God and we ask God to show himself to us and to open our eyes to see him in every situation in life. And it says, in that, we will be at peace. Psalms 119, 165 says this, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Now, a lot of times when you think of commandments just on the surface, it doesn't necessarily bring about peace. It's like, ooh, I love a name tag. You see the people who, they don't want to be told what to do. They ain't wearing a name tag. No, but the idea of the law, it tends to, to arouse that in us, right? But this says, when, when the law is approached, knowing that all of the precepts of Scripture and all the commands of Scripture are birthed from the loving heart of God who is altogether for me, now, coming underneath the commands of God is a beautiful thing for me. And it brings about peace, not rebellion. Now it's an act of faith that says, God, I know you love me and you are for me. So if you ask this of me, it's an easy yes. But yet so often in my life, it's not an easy yes because I'm still not always convinced that he's for me and that he loves me. And so peace within yourself, it says, comes from continuing to look at God and understanding his ways and aligning myself and surrendering and submitting myself to that. So it's faith less in the principle and more in the person that the principle was birthed from. It also, peace with others. So again, Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. So we're, there's this striving for peace that, that means it doesn't always just happen naturally and quickly, right? And Romans 12, uh, 18 uh, uses some, some language that I think is helpful. It says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. 
So the, the, the language of if possible and as far as it depends upon you lets me know, lets us know that we have one side of this equation. When it's talking about peace within two parties, there's another party involved, right? And so scripture tells me, you do what you can do. You control what only you can control. And that's how you come about and approach this relationship. But that other part of it is, is theirs, that you have to let go. And so if possible, as far as it depends upon you, you be at peace with all men. You strive for that, but understand and recognize that you can't force that. I can't, I can't make the other person step into that. And sometimes that's very, very uncomfortable. And so this is where we really see the dividing line between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, right? I have a friend who experienced a lot of heartache over the course of about a year to a year and a half uh, from her mom. And she's an adult, and uh, some of the actions that her mom took during this period of time really hurt her. And so there, was, there wasn't peace within the relationship of this mother and the daughter. And the daughter continued to be impressed by the Spirit of God to have a conversation, to, in a lot of ways, confront this but very uncomfortable scenario. One, you're having to confront your mom. Um, most of the time, family confrontation isn't always like super easy to receive, right? Oh, thank you for pointing that out. Um, it's not our natural knee-jerk reaction to family confrontation, especially when it comes from the younger, right? And so there's a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons not to push into this. And so she put it off and God just kept pressing her on this saying, if you want true reconciliation, if you, you, can, you can sit and avoid this conflict, and you, it's not true peace, and the relationship has been severed in a lot of ways and damaged. If you want true reconciliation, there's a part you must play, and that part is going to be very uncomfortable. And so she called her mom and asked if she could have her ear. Um, she wanted to do, uh, share some hurts with her. And so she was very upright and forward and, and trembling in the first conversation. And so she said, I'd like someone else to be there. And so they met with a mediator and she was honest and open with the things that her mom did during this time that hurt her, that caused her pain, that separated aspects of their harmony and their oneness. And at first mom was, oh, I'm sorry, you felt that way. I didn't mean and she continued to press into this conflict. She continued to press in and say, no, that's not an apology. She said, I'd like to hear, if you think that was wrong, I'd like to hear you say, this is what I've done wrong. Not, oh, I'm sorry for how it happened to affect you. And so to play a peacemaker, to be one who brings about or creates an atmosphere of unity and harmony sometimes takes tremendous courage. But you think of, you think of Jesus uh, how many times for the sake of the end product, how many times for the sake of true peace did he step in and enter into conflict and was willing to kind of upset the apple cart based on and motivated on love? And so the thing I loved about having a conversation with my friend when she was unpacking this story was it wasn't simply just to get her back or to put her in her place. It was, I want a relationship with my mom. This just isn't right. And so out of love for what God's best and out of love for mom, she was willing to confront. And there's going to be many times in our life where it takes great discernment to know when we step into that and when we just pray about that. Especially what involves two other parties, right? 
There's a lot of times now we can be guilty of meddling uh, instead of just, just praying. And so it takes a tremendous amount of discernment to know when you step into that. But the point is recognizing there's a place, there's a space that we can have strive for peace and uphold holiness. Not only peace between two parties or human-to-human relationships, but I love this idea of trying to establish peace within another person. And this specifically is the one that God just kind of beautified for me the last couple weeks. Listen to um, Romans 14, 19 says this. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the mutual upbuilding. So how do we help create an atmosphere of peace for another person to rest in? How do I promote or bring forth tranquility of soul for somebody else? I think there's these beautiful pictures in the scripture that we have the opportunity by the way that we carry ourselves and the atmosphere and the ethos that we produce that another person can just be, they feel safe, they feel secure. You guys know what this is like, these people. So, Specifically, I think, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who bring about tranquility of soul or rest for others, for they shall be called sons of God. I think not, not in an isolated way or not solely, but I think this is primarily a message for men. Whether you're a young boy growing up to be a man or you're a grown man, I think the presence of men is, is in and of itself just to have a male present is supposed to produce peace the presence of a man is not supposed to produce threat and so often i'm guilty of creating an atmosphere of tension where a man's presence is supposed to create an atmosphere of safety and security physically emotionally and that's god's presence right there's this great, great picture in um, the Old Testament. First Samuel 25 is talking about when, when King David is kind of, God through David is building up his army of mighty men. When there's a division, he's running from Saul. And as these, as these men who are ragtag group, they're rallying in the cave of Adullam and they're indebted and discouraged. And David begins to form relationships with them and they begin to pursue their God. Well, they start to kind of branch out and spend some time in these villages around Israel. And so in this area near Carmel, um, this, is, this is what the women of the village say about these men. Listen to this. Uh, 1 Samuel 25, 15 through 16. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with them, they were a wall to us, both night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping our sheep. So a friend of mine, Jeff Both, runs an organization called Cave Time, and he really built on this in a book called Defending the Feminine Heart. And he, he continues to extrapolate what it means as God is our shield, as God is our rock, as God is our wall, what it means as, as men to step into that. And predominantly, I think men can be this for women and children. And honestly, I think women can really be a safe place for men, which is hugely, hugely empowering and important. 
But he talks about what it would look like just to have the mighty men be around these women and they describe them as a wall to them. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus does this in a, in a wonderful way when the woman is caught in adultery. Remember, they, they catch this woman in the act of adultery with a man. Man gets to stay free and they drag this woman out into the public square in front of Jesus and say, this woman was caught in the adultery. We're supposed to stone her, kind of to see what Jesus will do, right? And so you think of the condition of this woman. She's in the middle of being caught in adultery, drugged half naked in front of all these people in her shame, and they're making a spectacle of her. And what's Jesus do? The first thing he does, which is interesting, and maybe we're reading between the lines here, but he bends down and he starts drawing in the sand. All of a sudden, everybody's eyes go where? They go to Jesus and what he's doing, and where do they go off? The woman in her nakedness and her shame. What a phenomenal picture of being a wall. He first sees this opportunity in this moment, covered in shame, and he says, right now what's called for me to do is distract. And as he distracts them, he begins to protect her by saying, hey, he doesn't compromise holiness, right? He pulls out the sins of others, and he says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. So he doesn't compromise God and he continues to uplift and says, let's talk about holiness and let's talk about sin. And so he, in a lot of ways, he loves the crowd as he loves the woman. And then as he's been a wall for this woman, he continues to love her in a confronting way. As he has made her feel safe and okay and saved her life literally and hidden and covered her shame, he says what? Go and sin no more. So as image bearers of God, as representatives of Jesus Christ, we're called to represent and, and reflect this idea of standing strong for the truth and holiness of God as we continue to instill environments where other people feel safe and other people feel secure. We're called to be walls that they can stand behind and beneath to become all that God has called them to be. And when you're standing in safety, someone can challenge you with change. And when you know they're for you, you can embrace that. If you don't feel safe and they challenge you, it feels like a condition of your love, right? And all of a sudden, it's an ultimatum and we all start to backpedal. And so we need to ask God and beg him for the Spirit's wisdom and discernment of what it looks like to be one who brings forth environments of safety and unity and oneness. For those that are around us. We're going to close by uh, Sherry and Tom and, and some of the other band members coming up and singing a song. Uh, and then I want to I pray over you a, a prayer of peace.